Hello and welcome to part six of our series, Things Set Right, which is an in-detail study of the Gospel of Mark. Whatever you believe about Jesus, he made it clear that he came to set things right, and he wants to include us in those things that he's setting right, and include us in the process of setting things right in our world. Now, if you are new to Cornerstone, I want to welcome you and encourage you to let us know who you are. If you are watching online, or listening online, or listening by podcast, however you are watching or listening, if you have not let us know who you are, then go to our New Here Start Here link. Look for New Here at Cornerstone nh.org, or wherever you're watching or listening, you can text the word new to our church number 603-225-2550, and then we'll be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you, let you know what's going on with the church, and encourage you along the way. And also, if you're listening by podcast, I would encourage you, or by YouTube, that you would subscribe so that you always get notification and automatically know when a new message is out. So again, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and we're working through it. Now we're coming to chapter 4, which is a large block of Jesus' teaching, which is kind of unusual for the Gospel of Mark, because the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. It's packed with action and the stories of Jesus interacting with people. There's not as much teaching in the Gospel of Mark, as in some of the other Gospels, but this is a large block of Jesus' teaching, which again is kind of unusual for the Gospel of Mark. And it's based on, I think, the different responses and explaining the responses that we looked at last week. Why is it that Jesus gets such a diversity of response? And we looked at some of those in the last section of last week's passage. His family comes, and they're convinced that he's out of his mind. The teachers of religious law come from Jerusalem, and they are in severe opposition to him, and they accuse him of being possessed by Satan. And then the third group is the group that is doing what we should be doing, and they are described as those who do do God's will. And he's talking to people who are following him, who are listening to him, who are gathering around him to hear his teaching. And he says, these are the people that make up the family, the new people of God. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Their family is what he's saying. So the question comes, well, if Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the king, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God, as he's introduced in the very first verse of the book, this is all about Jesus, the the Messiah, the son of God, then why is it that people don't automatically recognize him and accept him for who he is? And we understand why in the big picture, because we've been looking at the big picture of the gospel of Mark, first half, Jesus' identity, he is the king, he is the Messiah, he's the promised one, but he secures his victory through the cross. He's going to go about his ministry and inaugurating the kingdom in a way that the people did not expect. So, 
in this section where Jesus is teaching, he's going to explain why it is that people respond in different ways to him and to the coming kingdom. And he's going to make it very clear what he's aiming for in his hearers. We see this in this key verse in this passage. Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says, the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. So we are going to talk about understanding, how it is that you can understand what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching. And it's very clear that if you've read the Bible, there are some things that are hard to understand that aren't obvious at first and take a little bit of digging or studying or reflecting upon in order to make sense of them. And that's what we're talking about today. We want you to have understanding. And I think that the whole point of Jesus' teaching was that not to obscure things, not to hide things, not to make it confusing, but to bring things into light, as you will see. So I'm going to take the bottom line from that particular passage. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. Now, it is possible that this will sound a little bit familiar to you because we did look at this passage about two months ago when we were in our previous overview series, and I taught this bottom line. Today, I want to illustrate it. I want to illustrate that the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. See, I looked at and studied this passage fairly recently, preached on it fairly recently. It's a very common story. One of the parables in this passage is one of the most familiar and famous of Jesus' parables, and it shows up in all four of the Gospels. So it's something that evidently the gospel writers and God in his providence decided we needed to hear and we needed to hear it over and over again. So I think it teaches that, but I also want to be able to illustrate this principle through looking at it today. And then he gives also the challenge, the the application that we should take from this. In the first half of that same verse, he said, pay close attention to what you hear. Pay close attention to what you hear. And remember that hearing in the Bible doesn't mean just sound waves hitting your ears. It means taking it to heart and doing something with it. So the challenge is to pay close attention to what you hear. And the challenge that I'll give you and myself is that we pay closer attention to God's word. See, the Bible was not just meant to be just read through once and forgotten about. It is meditation literature. In other words, you're supposed to read it and think about it and look at it from a couple of different angles. You're supposed to read it over and over again because as you do so, you will gain more and more insight. The closer you pay attention, the more understanding you will be given. And it's not just so that you will gain knowledge and have a head full of Bible knowledge. It's so that as you reflect on it, you will be able to apply it and do something with it. So that's what it means to pay closer attention to God's word. It means listening, 
reflecting, doing everything you can to have more and more input from God's word, whether that's listening to podcasts or showing up at church or discussing it in a small group or studying it on your own as a part of your daily devotional habit. All of those things mean more input, which lead to more understanding. And the more that you apply it, you will understand it as well. So let's look at it together. This passage is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34, a bunch of different parables and teaching of Jesus all put together in this section. And like last week, I'm not going to read the entirety of it. I'm going to read bits and pieces as we work through it. I'm going to read the different segments as we work through it. But again, the bottom line is the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. So the first parable that Jesus gives is that one that shows up in all four of the gospels. There's a little brief introduction and then the parable itself, beginning at verse one of chapter four. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. Remember, this is the Lake of Galilee uh, and the Sea of Galilee. And it says, a very large crowd soon gathered around him. Remember, he was healing people. He was meeting needs. The people were drawn to him. He had people coming from all over. And it was a crushing crowd. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore crowd was so crushing that he had to get into a boat and go out a little bit in order to be able to be uh, away from them and to be able to teach. Verse 2, he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he gathered it, as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So that's the telling of the parable. And I want to give you a couple of uh, points about this parable and what I look at and as I reflected on it again within a short period of time, the different aspects that I picked up on. The first one is that Jesus is describing what we observe. He is not making a statement about the people and whether or not they're truly saved, or he's not making a comment along those lines. What he's doing is he's just describing phenomenologically. In other words, what we observe, what we experience. He's taking everyday experiences of the people that he was speaking to. They all had had this experience or would have been familiar with this of sowing seed and seeing it uh, land and sprout on different 
places where it landed and the different results that happened. And he's saying in the same way that that happens, there's a spiritual application and side of that as well. So I don't think that he is making a statement about whether or not you can lose your salvation or how that works. He's just saying, look, if you watch how people respond to my word, you'll see a couple of different responses. There are other places where the Bible does address what's going on on the inside, not observationally, but on the, under the surface. And like 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So I tend to think that that means once the spiritual switch is flipped, once a person is raised from spiritual death to life, then you don't undo that. You don't become an unnew creation. But that's not what's being addressed here. It's observational. And secondly, that Jesus is prescribing a particular response. The whole reason that he tells this parable is not just to describe and say, this is the kind of thing that happens, but he's prompting and encouraging a particular response, the right response to his teaching. So let's look at it together in detail. The next section is his explaining, and that's where these verses come from. The seed that fell on the footpath, that's the first situation, represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. We've already seen how uh, Jesus is doing battle with evil forces. And so what he's saying is when you see people who don't get it, it's possible that there's more going on than meets the eye, that the enemy is is conspiring to not let that seed take root. Now what's the what's the encouragement in this? What response does Jesus want? He wants us to be aware of that that we have an enemy that is trying to work against what Jesus is trying to accomplish in our lives and that we're supposed to resist that that we're not just going to be oblivious but recognize that we are in a spiritual battle and there are going to be all kinds of, of things that come up that try to keep you from God's word, God's people, and silence the voice of God's Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to work against that. That's the encouragement. That's the prescription that's based on that first part. Then it says the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. That's a good thing. He's saying, you know, some people, they hear and they get all excited about it. Good so far. But the second half of the verse, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They're saying, you know, there's, we've, we've, we've seen this where people get all excited about it, but it just doesn't seem to last. It doesn't take root. We even use that analogy. Uh, and so Jesus is explaining what's going on. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Anytime there's difficulty. And remember, the gospel of Mark was written to the first audience of people who were exposed who are experiencing severe persecution in Nero's Rome. So he's letting them know that some people are going to receive it with joy and get all excited, but it's not going to last. When persecution or problems arise, then they fall away. What's the encouragement in that? 
look, you're going to face persecution and problems, but don't let that shrivel up the roots of your faith. Just understand that that's going to happen. It's not a good reason to give up. Then he gives another example. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. Again, phenomenologically, he's saying this happens. We, we see this happen. That they get all excited about it, but then they allow other things to distract them. What's the encouragement, the prescription in this? Don't do that. Don't let all these other things, worries and wealth and desires for other things, crowd out the message. You got to keep focused. You want to keep focused and not let these things choke out the life because the end result of that is so that no fruit is produced. And that's what we want. We want to see fruit. We want people to stick with it, mature, and bear fruit. Uh, Then the last scenario, another scenario that people would have observed, seed that falls on good soil, it represents those who hear and accept God's word. They take it in, they internalize it, they apply it, and as a result, produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. I learned this week that the average yield for the way that they did farming in that time and place was about seven times what had been sown. And here he's describing a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted, almost a miraculous return on investment. He says, that's what we're aiming for. We want you to be good soil. We want you to take it in. We don't want any of these other scenarios to throw you off track. Focus on that. So that's the end result. And what he's saying is, I want a particular response from you. I want you to pay close attention. I want you to fill your mind with God's word. I want you to apply it. It's not just enough to know something. You have to do something with what you know. And the closer you listen, and remember listening is not just hearing, it's putting it into practice. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And then in that section, he also explains kind of what's going on by referencing a, uh, an Old Testament prophecy. And this gets people confused a little bit. Uh, but the thing that I want you to notice here in this explanation is that clarity, not obscurity, is the point. Now, we've already seen a couple of times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus would uh, perform a miracle or do something for someone, and he would say, you know, don't tell everybody about it. Or as he's casting out demons, they would yell, you're the son of God. And he's saying, hush, you know, that we've, we've already seen that. And so the question becomes, well, why, if he is the son of God and he wants to get the message out, why does he keep having this kind of mysterious aspect to it? And Jesus is explaining that in this passage and assuring us that clarity and not obscurity is the point. We've already seen that there's a practical aspect and a theological aspect to Jesus saying, hey, let's just keep this to ourselves for now. The practical aspect was that 
as the word got out that he was healing, that he's the Messiah, that he's uh, the Lord himself come to deliver his people and set things right, crushing crowds began to show up and it limited their mobility and what they could do just from practical standpoint. So that was one concern. But the other and perhaps more important was the theological concern, which is the healing and teaching and what they were seeing now was not the whole of Jesus' ministry. And it's not until the cross and resurrection that you get the complete picture of what Jesus meant when he says that he is the king, the Messiah, the son of God. But he's assuring his disciples in this, despite what they've been going through, despite the different responses, despite the misunderstandings that people have about him, that it's actually clarity and not obscurity that is the point. The Old Testament prophecy that Jesus quotes is from the book of Isaiah, and it says, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. He's describing, look, this is uh, what, what Isaiah was prophesying and experiencing. Same kind of thing that's going on right now. They see what I do, they're not learning. They hear what I say, they're not understanding. And then the last phrase in that prophecy from Isaiah is, otherwise they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, this is poetic language, it's prophecy, and Jesus, like Isaiah, is using this ironically. Some people look at that and say, well, why doesn't, I I thought Jesus wants people to be saved. Why is he confusing people? Why is he doing stuff that keeps people from repenting and being forgiven? He's using irony here, just like Isaiah is. It's like, because this is the whole point. The reason that he's telling these parables, the reason that he's explaining them, the reason that he's doing all of this is so that there will be more and more understanding, not less. And he goes on in the next section to explain that. And that's the parable of the lamp. In verse 21, beginning of verse 21, it says, Then Jesus asked them, would, you, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he goes on to give that core bottom line teaching that we're using as our bottom line. Verse 24. Then he added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So in this passage, he's making it clear that while There's some things that people don't understand and there are different responses. The point is for people to understand. In verse 21, he says, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? The obvious answer is no, of course not. Because the purpose of a light is to bring light to the whole room. 
And interestingly enough, he uses an odd wording because uh, almost every translation does like this one does and describe a lamp being brought into a room. But what Jesus actually literally says is, does a light come into the room? Well, lights don't do things on their own, but he's referring to himself. He's saying, I am the light of the world and I have come into the world to bring light. Yes, there are people who don't get it. Yes, there are people who respond differently. Yes, everything is not clear and won't be clear until the resurrection. But the whole reason that I came was so that the light could come into the world and people would understand. He explains, of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand. It's brought into a room, the light comes into the world where its light will shine. And then he makes clear that this is just a temporary situation where everything is a little bit confusing for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. See, the point is that he wants us to understand. And you can have this confidence when you open God's word, when you study, when you pray, Jesus wants to share understanding with you. He wants you to understand. He wants to make things clear. He's not trying to hide things from you. In his timing and in his way, he will show you what you need to know. And then this passage is summed up just reinforcing this point. At the end of this passage in verse 33, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. The goal was to give them as much as they could take in. And granted, that might be over time. It might be a little bit at a time, but his goal is that we understand. And that's why he encourages us that the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. Now, let's look at these last couple of parables and the insights that we can glean from them this time around. The next parable, I think one of the things that you can take away from it is that God's work may take time, but the result is certain. God's work may take time, but the result is certain. And this goes to the need that we all have to sometimes express a little bit of patience. The people that were expecting the Messiah, looking forward to his return, looking forward to his setting things right, sometimes had the expectation that it was all going to happen just boom, lickety split in one fell swoop. And Jesus is explaining that's not always the case. So this is the parable of the growing seed, beginning at verse 26. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready... As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. One of the things that we need to know in order to understand this parable correctly is that very often the end of the age when God is going to set 
all things right once and forever is described in the scriptures as a time of harvest. So he's saying there is going to be a time where God will fulfill all of his promises and make everything right, set everything right. But God's work may take time, even though the result is certain. So let's look at what it says. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Again, illustrating this is phenomenological language. It's like, you've seen this. You're, you're a farmer. You've, you've planted seeds before. You know how it happens. You don't plant one day and then harvest the next. It takes time, but the result is certain. The leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain is ripened. Again, paralleling the end of time is often described as a harvest. The end of time is when everyone is resurrected for judgment and then to eternal life or eternal death. One of the words used for resurrection is to rise up. Guess what the seed, this plant, is doing? It's translated here as the leaf blade pushes through. It literally says rises up. Again, hinting that he's talking about more than just farming here. He's giving an illustration of the end of the age. But he says, look, even the resurrection, there's this starting resurrection, which foreshadows his resurrection. But that's not the end. There's still growth to happen. There's still time. The heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready... As soon as, in other words, he's not going to delay, it just takes some time. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. I think the application that most stuck out to me with this is that God's faithful, and he's going to do what he said. He's going to fulfill his promises, but it's not microwavable. You know, it just, it doesn't happen automatically quickly. Sometimes it can happen suddenly, but it happens often over a long period of time. And so what do we do in the meantime? We're faithful and we stick with it and we trust that God is going to fulfill his promises, but we have to be faithfully, patiently waiting in the process. The other thing I would say is that it shows the certainty of judgment, that God is going, there is going to be a harvest, that the sickle is going to be applied. And while we don't know when, we don't know when our lives are going to end, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, the best thing that we can do, and Jesus taught this in a variety of other different parables, is be ready, to not delay. And so this seems like a good time in the message to encourage you that if you're not already responding the right way, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, turning your life over to him, allowing what he did on the cross to count for you and us and giving him your allegiance as King and Lord and God, then now is a good time to do it. It's the best time to do it. And so I would encourage you to commit your life to Jesus. And wherever you're listening or watching, you can text the word yes to our church number 603-225-2550. We'll be able to celebrate this decision with you 
and resource you for your new life in Christ. But don't delay. The, the time where you will give an account for your life is coming and you need to be ready. And the only way to be truly ready is to be included in Christ. Plus, why would you wait? We talk about every week how following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. That you're, you're not missing out on anything by following Jesus. You're missing out by not following Jesus. And you're going to get more and more understanding and have more and more of that abundant life that Jesus promised when the closer you listen, because the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And then the last parable is the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read it together. It's a short one. It's the last section in this, in this passage. Verse 30. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. And in this, he's showing us, teaching his disciples, teaching us that you can't judge the end result by the size of the start. You can't judge the end result by the size of the start. In the time that it takes, it's going to maybe take a little bit longer than you expect. It's not going to be immediate. And then as kind of a corollary to that, he's saying, look, you can't judge the end result of my ministry by how things are started. It might seem small or insignificant, but it's going to grow. And in the fullness of time, it will accomplish everything that God has in mind. He says, it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now, People will point out there are technically, literally smaller seeds than a mustard seed. But again, what is Jesus doing? He is describing what people generally observe in their gardening, the, of the gardening and planting and harvesting and farming that they would be accustomed to. The smallest of the seeds that they deal with is the mustard seed. And he's also encouraging a particular response. He's saying, you don't judge the end result of the plant by the size of the seed. So also you don't judge the end result of the inauguration of the kingdom of God by what you're seeing at the start. It's the smallest of the seeds that you're going to deal with, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Often in the scriptures, you see this, this example of things starting out small and growing larger when it's talking about the kingdom of God. And we should take that to heart, that just because what God is doing in your life seems small and insignificant right now, doesn't mean it's not going to be larger and more important and more significant and more impactful over time, because that's how we see the natural world working, and we see it in the spiritual world as well. So don't use a small beginning as a reason to reject God's work 
in your life, in Jesus' ministry, in the kingdom of God. So the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. What's the application? We pay closer attention to God's word. And I will encourage you to do things to get God's word into your mind and the focus of your life so that you're always exposed to it, always being uh, taught, always turning it over in your mind so that you gain greater and greater understanding. Pay closer attention to God's word. You'll gain greater understanding and go to cornerstonenh.org slash learn. Some resources there, different ideas for how you can do that. Because I believe that God wants you to understand. He wants to include you in what he's doing. He wants you to be able to pick up on the way that he's at work so that you can cooperate with him and walk with him. He wants to share the family business and what he's about with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you came to make things clear, that you are the light of the world. So I pray that you would help us to pay close attention, to fill our minds with your word, to be uh, constantly looking how we can apply what we hear. And I pray that as a result, we would see your word make a dramatic impact on our lives, to make us fruitful so that we'll see a harvest 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. We pray this for the benefit of the people that we love and care about and also for your glory because we know that as this happens, as people follow you, as people apply what they hear, that that will bring credit, glory, and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen.